This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Dan Weaver, owner of the Bookhound Bookstore, 16 East Main Street in downtown Amsterdam, editor of Upstream, a Mohawk Valley review, and every other week he does the column Weaver's World in the Amsterdam Recorder, where he often takes up historical topics. Dan lives in the town of Florida, just south of the city of Amsterdam. Dan, how you doing? Very good, Bob. Good to have you with us. I've not had you on the Historian's uh, podcast, although my uh, radio show I used to do from Amsterdam, we'd have you on quite a bit. But I was uh, uh, really interested. I thought it was a great story you did uh, in the recorder recently. It was headlined, The Men Behind Grant's Memoir. Uh, Speaking of uh, President Ulysses S. Grant, Uh, can you start telling us that story? And I'll jump in at some point. Well, I was reading a book about Grant's last days, and, and the name uh, W.J. Arkell popped up as being involved in the railroad that was built to run from Saratoga up to Mount McGregor, uh, about 11 miles north of Saratoga. And, of course, I had always knew that, that uh, Grant had died in a cottage up there in Mount McGregor in Saratoga County, but I wasn't aware that Montgomery County people had anything to do with the with the place so I got some of the information from the book I read um, that I mentioned in my article mm-hmm. uh, it's called the captain departs Ulysses S Grant's last campaign by Thomas Pitkin but then I wanted to to verify things so I ordered a copy of a book that WJR Kell wrote when he was elderly out in California and then I also looked up and found the Railroad Commissioner's report for the state of New York to see who was involved with the Mount McGregor Railroad. Mm-hmm. And well, in the process, discover- go ahead. No, I was going to say, it. I didn't know it either. In fact, <clears throat> I hadn't read your column Saturday, and somebody came up to me and said, gee, you see Dan's column about uh, Montgomery County and General Grant. It was, uh, you know... I've, Never heard the, uh, this whole story. Uh, the other right. The one point, though, <clears throat> the man who wrote the original book that you consulted, Thomas Pitkin, <laughs> was he any relation to the man who passed on? I think it was David Pitkin, who I used to interview from time to time about uh, ghosts in New York State, or maybe you just don't know. That I don't know. This book actually came out, I believe it was in the 1970s it came out. And, he, of course, he had a lot of footnotes in it, which helped me to, to go to original sources. And, uh, of course, I discovered that the Arkells, not only the Arkells, but John Kellogg from Amsterdam, and almost every man on the board of the railroad and the Mount McGregor Improvement uh, Association, which uh, then also bought 1,040 acres on top of the mountain, including uh, Duncan McGregor's original hotel, they were virtually all from Montgomery County, uh, Amsterdam, several from Amsterdam, Kennedy, Harry, Fort Plain. And, uh, of course, you know, the bigger names were the Arkells and John Kellogg. Um, but they bought Duncan McGregor out, who put the first hotel up there, and that hotel was actually moved down the hill a little bit, and that actually became the cottage that Grant stayed in. And so, you know, it wasn't really a cottage. It was a you know, fairly large Mm-hmm. Victorian structure, and they replaced the original hotel where the where the old hotel was. They built a new hotel called the Hotel Balmoral. Hmm. And, and uh, Arkell's original idea here, W. J. Arkell, 
um, it did is if I understand correctly, didn't involve General Grant. I mean, he was trying to create no. a resort. He was. He was trying to create a resort, and his father went in with him and his brother and John Kellogg and others. And Arkell built the first cottage up there. And actually, originally, the cottage wasn't built for him to stay in, for Arkell to stay in. It was built to be an art, a little art museum. So all the Arkells were interested in art, apparently, not just Bartlett, who, who founded the Arkell Museum and Art Gallery. But then, um, I don't know what happened to the art museum part of it. They, it. It didn't go over or what have you. So W.J., that became his summer cottage. And so, as far as I know, there, weren't, there were supposed to be other cottages built up there. And um, to keep the riffraff out, they, they set a, a minimum price for selling the land and a minimum price that your cottage could cost to build. So they wanted this to be kind of a little bit of a luxury resort. Huh. Now, Arkell is a well-known name, certainly in Harry. I mean, that's the name right. of the art museum up there. Uh, yes. This Arkell, W.J., you say he wrote, he published various journals. Uh, yes, is, he did. Mm-hmm. Who were the, the other, other Arkells? Or what, can you tell, talk a little bit about the Arkell family in Harry? Okay. Well, uh, the father... Actually, the grandfather, William, came over here and set up. And uh, then a son, James, got into the, uh, the, the bag industry with a guy named Smith. And when they ran out of uh, cotton at one point, they couldn't get a hold of cotton and other materials. That's when uh, W.J.'s father came up with the idea of the paper sack. So you had R. Kell and Smith um, Company creating paper bags. Prior to that, was bags made out of other materials. And that was quite a going concern in the village of Kennedy Harry. It started in 1859. So W.J., or William J., was his oldest son, and Bartlett was his second oldest son. And Bartlett is the one who is given credit for founding Beechnot. But mm-hmm. uh, W.J. was involved in that as well, because I just found the uh, incorporation papers today. Uh, online of the company, and actually was incorporated in 1899, and and Bartlett and W.J. both owned shares in the company when it first was was founded. Although Bartlett was the president, and their friend but W.J. was primarily involved in newspapers, including uh, he owned a newspaper in Albany, he owned newspapers in New York City, he owned other mm-hmm. publications, he owned a famous one called The Judge. He hired several really well-known cartoonists of the day, artists who worked for him. And he also got, like like the Sanfords of Amsterdam, he really got into the horse racing thing and had a huge stable. But I don't know where that was at because mm-hmm. I haven't gotten that far into it yet. And the Amsterdam uh, partner, if you will, John Kellogg, he was right. part of a firm called Kellogg's and Miller, and they made linseed oil. That's right. And... Uh, there were other men in Amsterdam, a man named A.A. A. DeForest, uh, and I can't think of the others who were also involved with it, and probably were prominent men, too, that I just don't know exactly who they who they were or who they are. But, of course, actually the most prominent figure involved in the, Mount, the uh, Saratoga, Mount McGregor, and Lake George Railroad and the Mount McGregor Improvement uh, Company was Joseph Drexel, who was a partner of J.P. Morgan for a time, and was he was a member of the Drexel banking family from 
Philadelphia, very well known and, and very wealthy. Mm-hmm. So they built the railroad. Yes, they built the railroad because all there was to this resort was a very bad road, and even the railroad itself was very steep and had to have uh, like hairpin curves in it and, and everything. So, it, because it, it went eleven and some miles, but then it, in altitude it went up. I forget well, well over twelve hundred feet or something like that. So it was a very steep grade. Uh, that the railroad had, but still provided for a much more comfortable ride from Saratoga to Mount McGregor than the uh, dusty carriage road did. Mm -hmm. And how does General Grant get involved in this? Okay, well, W.J.R. Cal, later in life, in, in this book he wrote, he admitted that he wanted Grant to come there. See, Grant was sick, and he was... His doctors and the family were looking for a place for him to go to hopefully recover, although eventually they knew he wouldn't recover. He had cancer, and um, so they figured a place where there was fresh air away from the city, because Grant was living in New York City at the time, would be beneficial to his health. And he, he had many offers from around the country from various resorts that said he could come there and they would, ha would be happy to have him for free. And, of course, many of those offers probably were had pure motives, but a lot of them had mixed motives. And W.J. Arkell was very honest in admitting later on in life that he wanted Grant to come to Mount McGregor because if he, he figured if Grant came there, it would become a shrine, and, and then it would uh, lead to there being a very successful resort there. Mm -hmm. So um, Drexel... Although W.J. Arkell and his father and family had visited Grant in the White House more than once, much earlier when Grant had been president, uh, although W.J. had to have been a, maybe a teenager at the time, um, and they knew Grant, they really didn't have the influence with Grant that Drexel had. Mm -hmm. So W.J. Arkell basically influenced Drexel to get Grant, to make the offer to Grant to come to Mount McGregor, which Drexel did because Drexel had bought the old hotel, and supposedly for his own use, but he, it was really bought in mind for Grant. And so when Grant, Grant agreed to come, uh, and Drexel's cottage, which was the old hotel, became Grant's cottage, uh, you know, his temporary cottage, wasn't, he didn't own it. And it was all done over before he got there. It was all refurbished and everything. So Drexel was the link between Arkell and Grant, but then uh, then Grant made all the arrangements for for uh, Arkell made all the arrangements for Grant to come, and uh, W. J. Arkell and Drexel and Kellogg, all of those were on the train as it left Saratoga and went to Mount McGregor, and then Arkell spent most of the time most of the summer on the mountain. Grant was there about six weeks before he died mm. altogether. And, and something... did about, he did about 50-some pages of his book, new pages of his memoir while he was there. So he did a lot of work, even though he mm -hmm. was dying. And I thought it was a, I don't know why, but it just sort of struck me as quite poignant that the that little railroad they built was the last trip that Grant took was on that exactly. railroad. That's right. And there's another, uh, there's another point I couldn't bring out in my article because it wasn't long enough. Uh, you know, I, I'm not given enough words, but 
Another Canada Harry man played a really big part at the end of Grant's life, and his name was John G. Gilman. Gilman was a photographer from Canada Harry. In his advertising, he listed himself as a photo artist. And you can see some of his work. You can you can still find it for sale, you know, occasionally in antique shops and and online and so on. But Gilman went to Mount McGregor. Now I, I have a feeling I can't prove it. I haven't been able to prove it, but I I got a feeling he went there because of Arkell and his relationship with Arkell, being both from Canada Harry. Mm-hmm. And while there, he was given permission to take photographs of Grant. And he took the last known photograph of Grant, taken uh, four days before his death, a very famous photograph. There's a a copy of it in the Library of Congress, which you can actually see online. Mm -hmm. He also took the only known photograph of Grant with his wife, his sons and daughter, and all their children. It's the only known photograph of the entire family. Mm -hmm. And then after Grant died, Gilman also took, was allowed to take photographs uh, inside the cottage where Grant uh, spent his last days of, of the bed he slept on. And these were, um, you know, sold. They were sold at, to people all over the country. And so Gilman's uh, series on Grant at Mount McGregor is a well-known series of photographs, and he was uh, based in Canada Harry. Hmm. And when Grant is writing at the end of his memoirs and he's dying... Um, there's back and forth on whether it's good for him to write or good for him to uh, uh, to rest. Uh, but right. was it Mark Twain said he thought that it uh, ended up prolonging his his life because he right. had a and goal. A, yeah, and a few other people thought that as well. Although, um, you know, the doctors were did not want him writing at certain points and wanted him to stop. And actually, one of the, there was one thing that might have. Uh, hurried up the end a little bit is there was a point in time where he wanted to go to the Eastern Overlook, which is mm-hmm. uh, part of the resort where you could look towards the Hudson Valley, and, you, and the views are, are tremendous. So they took him there. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, it was a very difficult uh, journey, even though it wasn't real long, and they came to a place where the railroad tracks were there, and they couldn't push the cart or whatever he was in over it, and he didn't want to be carried, so he got up and walked across, and that physical exertion really did a lot to him and put him back in bed and, and kind of gave him a relapse. Huh. So he, the physical exertion hmm. seemed to have been been something that really uh, brought him down, but a lot of the writing initially did... He dictated, but then he got to where he couldn't use his voice, so he wrote things out in pencil. But then eventually even that got to be a, a strain. Hmm. After he died, which was July 23, 1885, Arkell right. uh, helped in making the funeral arrangements? Yeah, he helped uh, General Grant's son make the funeral arrangements. And, and of course, he had a funeral train. Uh, you know, the railroad was never big. It only had four or five passenger cars and a couple engines. One of the engines was named after Drexel. So they got the funeral train ready, but they kept uh, Grant's body there for several days in an ice coffin, and people came to pay their respects. So a lot of famous people came up that railroad in those, well, 
not only during the, the six weeks Grant was there, like Mark Twain came during the time Grant was there, but also people like uh, General Hancock, various Civil War generals came up that railroad after his death to mm. pay the respects. And, 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 of course, like all presidents, there was, a, there was a long funeral procession after he died, which started at Mount McGregor. But they had to move the funeral car down to Saratoga and, put, and lock it up in a, in a train shed because all these people were coming up the mountain and, and uh, vandalizing it, taking pieces of it for souvenirs. Mm. So, they, you know, they were, people were trying to get a hold of anything they could that, was, that had some connection with, with President Grant. And this is a, almost a silly aside. I remember on Groucho Marx, you bet your life, it was always a question... Who's buried in yeah. Grant's tomb? That's right. I mean, that's in New York City, isn't it? Uh, Grant's that's tomb. That's right. Yeah, there was a temporary tomb for a while, and then they then they built the, the, the one that's there now. Yeah. But yeah, that was the question he uh, Groucho would give you if you didn't earn any money. He would give you that question so you could leave with a hundred dollars, or you know, split hundred dollars with something with the like, other person. Something like so that. He would, wouldn't leave his show broke. No. But and so after Grant died at the at the cottage, the cottage did become famous or was famous. Yes, yes, it became a shrine. Drexel was the owner uh, in name of the cottage, uh, even though a corporation owned the whole resort that he you know he was part of. And Drexel decided he wanted that cottage left the way it was when Grant died. So the family took out you know their personal things, but all, all everything else was left there and. and from what everything I read is is still there today. Nothing's been changed hardly. Um, but as far as the resort went, uh, W.J.R. Kell's plans backfired because when people came there, they tiptoed around the place like it was a shrine, and that's the weary words he used. They tiptoed around it, the, the entire place. And so instead of being a place, uh, the resort being a place of fun, it, it did become a shrine, but but it couldn't be a re- it couldn't be mm-hmm. both. It'd be like having you know Lourdes at Disneyland. You you can't have <laughs> right. a shrine and a fun park in the same place. And so the traffic to the resort died off. The plans of building many many other cottages never went went through. The railroad never made any money from what I could see from the various uh, railroad commissioner reports that I looked at, and finally went into re- receivership. And the resort was sold off at a loss. So, but Grant's Cottage itself, uh, a, an organization was formed that John Kellogg and W.J.R. Kell were part of. Uh, Mount McGregor Memorial Association was formed, and they ran the cottage up until the 1950s. Unfortunately, there never was quite enough money to take care of the place properly. Mm-hmm. So, but then. Uh... Do you know the current status? I mean, for then what, the state or was it the federal government? Well, took, go, first, go the, uh, an insurance company took it over and built a big uh, an asylum up there for people, for their uh, employees. I can't remember which insurance company it was at the moment, but it was used for many, many years as a sanitarium for the employees of a large insurance company. And then the state took it over, and it was used, I believe, for the mentally disabled for a while, and then it became a prison. I mean, for all my life I've been here, it's been a, been a prison, but the its status as a prison, it wasn't really that many 
decades it was a prison, mm-hmm. uh, maybe 30, 40 years, and then it was you know closed down a few years ago. So right uh, now it's, it's still state, right. It's still state owned mm-hmm. property, but uh, the cottages and the cottages still on that 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 property. You, you always had to go through a security gate mm-hmm. checkpoint to go into the into the see the cottage because it was part of the correctional facility. I don't know if that's still true today or not, if you still have to go through a checkpoint. It, the state do, still owns it, and I think they're looking into uh, developing it in some way or selling off parts of it. Mm-hmm. But the cottage is still there and will always be there. Mm-hmm. And the cottage is like administered by a federal agency or is something? No, I believe no? it's state. State? I believe the state took it over in ni- in the 1950s, the state of New York took it over. Mm. And people might be yelling at their computers. Neither one of <laughs> Have you ever been there? I've never been there. <laughs> I'm going this summer. Okay. I put it off long enough. After writing this story, I said, I've got to at least, I've got to go there. I've always wanted to go there. But it's not open all year round. It's not open all the time. It's not like some places where it's readily, you know, some historic sites have a lot of money and they're open all the time. This one isn't. It's only open during, right. I don't even know if it's open all week. So I do plan to go there. Okay. Well, the men behind Grant's memoir, uh, men from um, Montgomery County, uh, New York. Very fascinating uh, story, Dan. And this is yeah. one, Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to add a couple of things. There's a little confusion out there when you read his stories about W.J.R. Kell and his father, James, and it it seems like James was was a good friend of Grant's because Ark, his son, W.J., probably w- he wouldn't have been more than 30 years old when this whole thing was, was happening, but he and his brother appeared to have money at a very young age, whether from their father or working for their father or what. I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, there is confusion when you read up on the family as to which Arkell was the one heavily involved in promoting this railroad in Mount McGregor Improvement Association, but if you read the the records of the um, that are in the railroad commissioner's reports, it's very clearly it was W. J. Arkell, not his father James. His father James was involved with it, but it was W. J. Arkell was the main uh, driving force behind the whole thing. We mentioned at the start that Dan Weaver, who's been telling us this story about uh, General Grant, uh, is owner of the Bookhound Bookstore, 16 East Main Street in downtown Amsterdam, and you uh, said you accessed uh, an, another, you know, when you had one book, you accessed another. Do you find you, I mean, you're into the book business. I guess I'd just like to draw you out on that maybe for a few right. minutes. Um, and and you're, you have a bookstore and you sell all kinds of books, but you're especially interested, I believe, in old books, maybe out-of-print books, things like that. Yeah, I'm interested in out-of-print books, but I'm also interested in recent books that are, you know, quality, especially nonfiction and history, um, that are that are recent. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff being published currently. I think some of the best history that's ever been written in this country is being written or has been written in the past 20, 30 years and, and continues to be written. We have access to records like we never had before. Uh, whether online or or in person. Um, Now, some of the material I use for this story, I actually got the physical book. And and I've actually, for other stories, I have actually gone to Fonda and researched things. But, for example, the railroad commissioner's reports 
are very hard to get a hold of in, in actual book format. But if you go online, a lot of them are available for free, and you can actually download them as a PDF and, and read them or study them on your own computer. So even though I'm a bookseller selling traditional books, and I, and I think there should always be a place for traditional books, and my that's what I like best. I like having the book in front of me, flipping back and forth. But the Internet has been a very helpful to people doing any kind of historical research because the number of books that are in the public domain that are worth consulting um, that are now readily accessible, it is just... Uh, really, the number of books has increased over the past few decades because of the Internet. Books that I could never have had access to in the past, or maybe I would have come across one of... I've had one or two of those railroad commissioner reports, mm-hmm. and but but online I can access at least a dozen of them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really, uh, you know, the, the having the physical book and the books you can uh, obtain online or read online, you can't always download them, sometimes you can only read them, is a great thing. And also the historical records. Now you can go online and you can see all the deeds for every property in Montgomery County going back to the 1700s. It's very painstaking to go through them, but you can do that. And I've been doing that in regard to a house that our committee, our Historic Amsterdam League Committee, uh, the Historic Preservation Committee, which I'm mm-hmm. the chair of, right. we have discovered a house which we believe was owned by the son of the founder of Amsterdam, and is probably the only remaining structure from uh, Vettersburg when Amsterdam was Vettersburg. It's the only remaining structure left in the city, and we had to do a deed search to help us with our research, and uh, Jerry Snyder did a lot of that, but I've been, I've been doing further research to, to go back beyond this property find out when Albert Vetter sold it to his son. And having those deeds available online instead of having to go up to Fonda all the time mm-hmm. is amazing. Whether you do it in Fonda or do it in your, from your computer, it's very difficult work. Yeah, But at least you don't have to drive to Fonda all the time mm-hmm. to look at the archives, you know. So. And, in, for example, in these records, these, these are kept by a government agency or or something else? Well, with, with the, um, the Railroad Commissioner's Report, those have been, uh, I don't know whether purchased or what, or scanned by, there's a couple organizations out there, the Internet Archives and the Hathi Trust, which are nonprofit organizations which have scanned a lot of books. Google has done it too, but Google, of course, is not a nonprofit, and a lot of times they don't let you access the entire book, whereas these nonprofits, you can often download the entire book and have it on your computer. Now, as far as deeds and other records are concerned, a lot of the deeds were done by the Mormon Church. Mm-hmm. My understanding is the Mormon Church came through Montgomery County back in the 1960s, and if you look at the deeds online, you can see that the actual book was opened up, and there was these two mechanical arms holding the book in place, and that the book was photographed. I guess it would be like maybe the same, similar to microfilm. Mm-hmm. They weren't scanned as they're done today. It was actually photographed. And... So the Mormon Church has made an enormous amount of material available. Some of it you can't have you can't have access to all of it, but some of it is available for free online. Some of it's available if you go to these sites and pay pay a fee. But some of it's available for free. Yeah, and um, there, there's a lot of work involved in in this process. But as you say, at least it's doable now. Yeah, it's much more doable, and it allows us to have more 
somewhat more accuracy. One thing I'm finding, the old histories, say, of Montgomery County, New York, they're great, uh, Beers and, and Frothingham's, and they're very important, and especially important as, as a starting point. But I like to verify everything that I read from a secondary source, if possible. It's not always possible. Mm-hmm. Now, for the most part, it's given that Beach Nut started in 1904. But, you know, as I found out this morning, even doing some further research, I found the actual incorporation papers. It was actually incorporated in 1899. Ah. Dan, and, I'm, I'm, I'm almost sorry to interrupt you, but we're running, sure. just running out of time. I thank you okay. very much very much for joining us. Dan Weaver is owner of the Bookhound Bookstore, 16 East Main Street, downtown Amsterdam, editor of Upstream, a Mohawk Valley uh, review. He also writes Weaver's World every other Saturday in the Amsterdam Recorder. He lives in the town of Florida. Again, Dan, thanks for being with us on The Historians, and you have a good day. Okay, thank you, Bob.